Welcome to Conversations with Ben Dixon, where we talk about important things through a biblical and spiritual lens. Thank you for tuning in. You can always go to YouTube or Spotify or iTunes and download our podcast, like it, subscribe, share. We'd love it if you did that. Please go to our website, www.conversationswithbendixon.com. And we always have a guest with us, and this week I have Pastor Trevor Loya. Again, he was with us last week, but Heck you're yeah. back with us I today. It. I made it. And last week we talked about deconstruction and faith, or faith deconstruction, and we yeah. wanted to segue into sort of a branch of that tree and talk about deconstruction and church trauma, otherwise known as church wounds, because this is a very important topic right. for us to consider and have a conversation about. We want to go right into it, and, uh, and, 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 and really, how do people not only get hurt in the church or what happens with that, and from that place, they deconstruct their faith. Those, these kind of go together today. They're mm -hmm. talked about quite a bit, and the word trauma is thrown around right. pretty heavily. Right. And so I think it's a very important thing for us to, uh, for us to have this conversation yeah. uh, about. But before we do, why don't we just open up by talking about what is church trauma? When we use this terminology, what are we really talking about? Yeah, that's a great question, and Loda, I think there's there's been a rise, and especially in the last handful of years of mental health professionals, and especially in, the, in Christ, Christianity and in the church, we have embraced our mental health um, uh, folks, our counselors and psychologists, mm -hmm. those who um, help those who are struggling, mm -hmm. um, and I think that's a really good thing. And so I think when it, as that has risen this kind of term, church trauma, has come about. Mm -hmm. uh, maybe, like, it's come from out of church wounds. You've probably heard these types of terms. But church trauma, I think, is is when intentional damage has been done to an individual within a church setting, mm -hmm. um, whether that's emotionally, physically, sexually, verbally, all those things where it's manipulative. There's an, there's a, uh, an environment mm -hmm. that um, is a proactive, you know, uh, uh, way of against, going against people. Now, there's passive hurts and passive things that can, we rub shoulders with people and we get hurt and, you know, someone cuts in line as we're trying to get kids at kids ministry or right. whatever, and we can get offended by that stuff or some... Every day, all this stuff. <clears throat> yeah, yeah, all those little things that just happen because there's, you know, dozens or hundreds of people in a church that you just got to share space mm -hmm. and share lives, and people are rough, and that, that's what's going to happen. We, we can expect that. But with leaders and, um, and, and others who, are, who, um, who treat people wrongly, like, and, are, and, and, and that's their motive to do it. That's another level. That's the church trauma kind of we're talking about. There's wounds and pains of, you know, of community that's going to happen. But I think, I think what has highlighted it, especially in our recent year or two, is that with the deconstructive move um, that has shifted, and I mean, there, you can, there's hundreds of podcasts now on deconstruction, how to do it. There's kits now that you can go buy and helping you deconstruct. You know, there's all sorts of so stuff. So it's being marketed. Yes. Wow. Uh, or uh, I know one person had it marketed and then they took it down. Okay, um, Joshua Harris. Yes. Okay. <laughs> okay, uh, we're yeah. there. Okay. Uh, <laughs> uh, but you know, like, there's all there's this there's this idea in deconstruction that those who have a level of power, authority, and or influence mm -hmm. don't have pure motives. Right. And so when they do something like they ask an intern to do something an intern should do. 
um, in, in the best case scenario, there's an underlying, well, what's their motive behind it? Sure. Are they trying to build their empire? And, and I think that there's a lot of cases where that's true. Mm-hmm. And I'm not trying to, 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 to paint uh, uh, just like a pure, awesome picture of every leader in the world. But I think we're, we've been seeking out ill motives and we're putting, we're putting ill motives on people that just simply don't have maybe ill motives. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, but I mean, how many times have we been pastors and someone asks us to be accountable to them and when, then when we are accountable to them mm-hmm. in their life, they get upset with us. Mm-hmm. And you go, well, you ha- we didn't have to do it. I wasn't gonna, I wouldn't do it, but you asked for me to, to do this. Mm-hmm. So now I feel like I'm the bad guy. I feel weird right now. Mm-hmm. And we're not trying to use our authority in the wrong way. We're trying to use it in the right way. Sure. But it can get the lines could get very blurred really quickly uh, in this, you know, the the increase of emotional mental health professionals and and working with people who really do. I mean, in my own family, we have that. I shared in the last podcast. And then the increase of trying to figure out what the motives of leaders and influencers really are. You know, and that blend can we see this popularized term of church trauma Mm -hmm. and there's a lot that is very true and then there's a lot that we just that people like to associate with or become victims of you know Mm -hmm. and and i'll just say this if you have any sense of hurt from a church Mm -hmm. whether it's someone who accidentally did it or proactively did it we we understand the feelings and the pain all across the board are extremely real Mm -hmm. they are and they need to be worked through, and Jesus has healing for you, and we want to see that restored within community. We want to see that restored within faith. We believe through the Holy Spirit, through the scriptures, we can see restoration happen. I mean, we, right. we, have, we do that. You know, We've done that in our own life. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's not to say any story doesn't matter. Every story matters. Mm-hmm. But... Um, but just to frame up maybe uh, an idea or a view of, of what the modern-day church trauma maybe looks like. Yeah, so, I mean, I think what you were getting at there is there's, there's legitimate church trauma, pain, difficulty. The, the, the church, this body of people, provides an environment. Somebody's going to come into this environment. Maybe they give their life to the Lord, or they move from one church to another. They come into this environment. And we all come from somewhere. We have a family of origin. We have experiences that's made us the person that we are today. We come with expectations. We come with ideological background. We come with politics. Right. We come with um, hopes, aspirations, dreams, desires. And we sort of plug that person into this environment. And and then now they're around with other people that mm-hmm. diversely could think yeah. extremely differently. Yeah. And our right. our commonality is Jesus and the Bible, and that's what keeps that's what even gives us the hope of togetherness. Yeah, because we are going to have a lot of differences around these other issues, but also we have the sanctifying work of the Spirit for each one of us. Like Jesus is our Savior, Jesus is our Lord, Jesus is also our pattern. The Bible is our manual to show us who we are, who God is, where we're going. And so we gather around that, but I think often what can happen is on this progressive sanctification journey that we're all on, we we rub shoulders with people who maybe in a previous life or a previous church or a previous setting 
uh, was that person that hurt us, or, right. or very much like that person. Right. And and that can trigger, that can mm-hmm. um, cause some unnecessary pain and, and bring yeah. about our baggage. It actually can promote healing, too, because when that thing comes up, we can give it to Jesus, we can right. reconcile, we can deal with that. But but I do believe as people come together, it provides an environment where absolutely anybody can can get hurt in any way. I mean, it's just right. possible. So we have to recognize the fact that there's legitimate pain right. that happens in church, there's legitimate wound, and we understand that. We're not advocating against that, we're actually 100%. saying we want to be... We, we want to be the advocate for Jesus to be able to heal us in 100%. the context of church. In fact, we believe that, that some people would say church is a hospital. Yeah. And um, a hospital, if you think about it, has many different sections. It has a place for giving birth. It has a birthing uh, department, you know, where... Center, birth yeah, center. Whatever. <laughs> um, it has recovery yeah. center. It has... Yeah. Um, a place for doctors and nurses to train. I think that's actually a more robust picture of the church. Right. Is like a church is not just a place. It's not just an emergency room. Right. 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 It's a, there's therapy right. center. There's all these aspects to a large church, and and a church should be or a large uh, hospital. A church should be all that. Right. Um, but I think if you came in in emergency mm-hmm. and you didn't realize like you've got to go all the way through therapy and res- mm-hmm. res- restoration and then right. become a doctor and a nurse yourself <laughs> to address. <laughs> right wounds right. and bring healing. If you don't have that vision before you, then you're just kind of... I can imagine that it, 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 it could... It, the, your expectations could be improper. Totally. So totally. I, I think, you know, on one hand, there's legitimate church wounds and trauma, and on the other hand, there also is what I'm, I, I might consider not so legitimate. In other words, it's perceptions, it's mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. wrong expectations. Uh, have you seen a lot of this where people will claim church trauma when mm-hmm. it's not actually a real... Like, we wouldn't consider that... I mean, every story matters, every person's life matters, every... Um, yeah. We want everybody to share right. and talk, but like, have you sat with a number of people where they're saying, hey, this church wounded me, and this is why they're all bad, or this right. is why they're bad? Have you come into contact with oh, that yeah. a lot? I think that's... I mean, it's very like anyone who's watching and we saying, oh, they don't have a legitimate trauma is like what we're not supposed to do, right. <laughs> because that's what the world wants us. And and I get that, you know, like, right. are they feeling what they're feeling? Is that true? Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. But, um, but perception of something is much different than actually something happening. You know, I feel like right now there's like you know, um, uh, there's like almost a badge of honor in a way to wear your wounds on your shirt. Like, hey, I have these problems in my life. And I'm, I'm appreciative that we can be vulnerable. Mm-hmm. I think it's a response of some 20th century religion that you feel like you couldn't be where you really were walking into church. Mm-hmm. I, can, I, I understand why we've reacted to that. Mm-hmm. And I can, I can, um, I'm thankful for some of that. Mm-hmm. Thankful to be able to, you know, go into a church and be honest about struggles and, 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 but I don't want to wear them as a badge of honor. Mm-hmm. You know, like I want to wear them like, hey, I don't want to be ashamed of these things, but I want to be somebody who says, hey, like, this is where I'm at and I'm in pain and I've, I've grown up in this circumstance or I have this mental health thing or I've, I have this experience and it's painful and still, it's still nudging at me. You know, when we planted a church, we had a, um, I had someone sat, sat down with me and they said, hey, I'm really interested, but I worked for a church one time and they outlined a lot of really just 
bad things, you know, um, not the worst of things, but but really painful, that mm-hmm. community and thinking about church planning and the amount of hours and involvement and, you know, every week volunteerism, every week, like, you're on all the time, no matter, just for being part of the church, you know, and, uh, and she, she asked me lots of questions, and we talked it through, and I, and I tried to share my heart, and, and I appreciated that. She went through church trauma, being on staff at a church. She was still curious. She was nudged by the Holy Spirit to come with us. And she still had things going on in her that I never did to her, uh, but she was willing to, to talk it out mm-hmm. and trust me enough to, to be honest and talk through that. And then she made it. Then she came with us. And, and she, um, she, it was awesome to have that. Um, and, and so, you know, that's, I feel like the way to go about these things, you know, and if there is these, these moments where I, that's a perfect example of how to deal with it to a certain degree, there's high levels of trauma. Don't get me wrong. Absolutely. That like, maybe the first step isn't just walking into a crowded place, right? It just simply isn't, you know, Mm -hmm. um, uh, like, like a soldier coming back from war, probably the best place isn't a fireworks show after that. Mm-hmm. You know, like there's just certain, there's, there, there's heightened levels and, and we're not mental health professionals. Mm-hmm. So certainly th- th- we'd lean on advice there. Uh, but we know for certain there's restoration. So yeah, I think people come and um, uh, say, hey, I have this stuff going on, but really it's, it may not be fully that. And, and then we, you know, we've talked about creating boundaries for people and, uh, and because as, as shepherds, you know, we, we got to help bring accountability and mm-hmm. think of the flock. Right. Um, because one decision, as we all know, anyone who's a pastor listening to this knows any decision you've made, especially in the last 18 months, has affected somebody positively and negatively. You really? know, and we, yeah, surprisingly. I mean, <laughs> only that me, happened. To no, you? I'm kidding. <laughs> uh, <At> Northwest, <laughs> we don't have. We haven't had that. No, not... Oh, yeah. Terrace, for sure. We, uh, yeah, it's everyone else, probably. It's up north. Down south, we don't... <laughs> we don't have that happen. You know, and so I think, like, like making the right decision for the whole uh, and trying to, 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 you know, and if someone disagrees with your decision, um, oftentimes people go, see, they're, they're using their influence mm-hmm. for pain or for, for, uh, for their own wants and desires. I'm, uh, we are both young adult pastors, <laughs> mm-hmm. and I was a young adult pastor, and someone at our young adults invited, they, they were walking in, and they noticed this guy they knew from high school, and he was on the street, and he was obviously had a little bit too much to drink, and they come in, and we were thankful to have him. He sat down, and worship happened, and I get up to do a message called um, Anyone and Everyone, you know, like anyone can receive the gospel, and everyone should, you know, kind of thing, like man, let's go after people. Let's love every person. So this is, this is my message planned. And this guy gets up, interrupts the entire service and he's just loud and belligerent. And so I'm like, all right, hey, hey, great. Let's, you know, he's yelling certain things and he gets up, he comes into the front, he starts talking. I go, hey, it would uh, be great. We can have some leaders. If we can, we'd love to bring you outside and chat with you and, you know, trying to like gently do these things. And he's not listening. He's getting louder and more aggressive. (laughs) And so in front of everyone, before I preach this message that anyone and everyone could and should, he's, uh, he's, uh, I have to kick him out of the service like aggressively because he's in another state of mind. 
And if you look at that from the outside, it's like, that guy's, Trevor's not loving. That's abusive. You're using like anyone and everyone, Trevor. You're not even holding to your own message. And I go, yeah, I understand that. And so, uh, you know, I, I, I was like, man, this is, this is tough. My, you know, but, but at the same time, like we, we can't even have a message mm-hmm. when someone else takes, takes control of the service. You know, like it's just, we have to help for the other masses, dozens of or hundreds of people be able to, to grow in their discipleship. And when there's distraction, we have to lead through that. Mm-hmm. And that's like, you know, a, a once in one in a million kind of experience, but you know. Well, it depends on <laughs> where your church is. I guess so. I yeah. guess so. Absolutely. I, I think what you're talking about, and maybe we'll just lead down this road, is that on one hand, leg- legitimate church wounds, church trauma, we don't want to minimize that. Totally. But what we do want to target in on is talk about where there is sup- supposed or, or perceived church trauma that maybe doesn't have to be there. For example, yeah. people that watched you do what you had to do in that situation, they could think this this is this is a toxic environment. Right. You're preaching one thing and then you're doing another. And I think before we get to a place where we judge that situation, mm-hmm. what we have to do is ask questions. And I, I think we're living in a time where we have failed, all of us, and we need to yeah. own this, okay? I, I'm not saying you and, and not us and us and not you or whoever we're talking to right now. We're not asking questions. Why did you do yeah. that? Yeah. Help me understand. Right. It, it starts with mistrust right. and judgment. In other right. words, I can look at that situation and without any questions, talking to you at all, who had to make the decision, I can completely judge what happened and why it happened and that it right. was wrong that right. it happened. As a result of that, we, we say, this is a toxic environment. I mean, here's another scenario. For example, at our church, we had a man that came into one of our services, he had a family, ne- never been here before, and this man was so loud during worship. I mean, his hallelujahs were like, so loud. I mean, I don't know if I've ever heard anybody this loud before. He was clapping, yelling, shouting, singing. And a person could say, well, this is exuberant worship, Ben. This is what we need. No, it was distracting worship. It it, it was demonstrative, and all eyes were on this man. They were not on Jesus. And everybody in the room, there's 300 people in the room, and everybody knew it. And so I asked one of our pastors to go talk to him. He did, gently. And that person continued to say, like, amen, and get real loud throughout our service. And what I recognize is, you know, as our pastor talk, one of our pastors talked to him after worship and then after the sermon, and then that family went downstairs and got their kids, uh, there's a couple of scenarios, a couple things here that, that are interesting. Number one is that I recognize that people looked at how we dealt with that and thought we didn't deal with that the right way, which to them means that maybe this environment isn't safe because you're going to not deal with this the proper way. And then if we would have dealt with it more severely, it could have been the same as your scenario. Hey, this is a toxic environment Mm -hmm. because people kick people out of church. Right. Well, there's a here's here's some underlying things that we learned. The guy goes downstairs, tells our children's pastor that they're. I think it was 19-year-old daughter, committed suicide two weeks before then. Mm. And who knows how that affected this person. They were out-of-town guests, only going to be there one time, and they he has a whole history of being loud and and sort of being asked to step out of church. So no matter how we handled that situation, it was delicate. 
And it's easy to look on the outside and judge how people do and don't deal with these Mm -hmm. situations. But the problem is, is that nobody asks questions, right? Right. And so fortunately for our church, it's healthy and nobody really had a problem per se with what we did or didn't do. But I'm just saying stuff like that happens and even worse. And then they, this environment all of a sudden becomes unsafe Leaders become, I can't, you know, I can't trust you. Right. And uh, it's sort of toxic. And then, oh, now I'm looking at all these minor details, and that's why this happened. And it puts a microscope on everything. When in reality, every environment that has a load of people is going to have levels of dysfunction. Yeah. And it's sort of like family. Family has levels of dysfunction. The the question is, are we working through that? And that requires both leader and and member, church members, to come together, to have conversations. Mm-hmm. And I'm just sort of advocating asking questions, right. because the more we have these high expectations, or whatever they are, these perceptions, without any questions, without any conversations, there is no way that without any conversations or questions that we're not going to get hurt mm-hmm. based on our own perceptions, because right. things are going on around us all the time that I don't understand. Right. Like, why did that happen? Why did you say that? Why did this person do that? Why didn't they do that? I don't know, right. but I, I would say on a weekly basis, mm-hmm. something is happening in a church context that I'm over right. that I don't understand. Right. And until I address that, walk in the knowledge of what that was and why, I can't even understand if it was right or wrong or, or neutral, for that matter. Right. So I'm just sort of advocating this place of, of humility right. and, yeah. and not, um, not avoidance, but humility by uh, starting... The benefit of the doubt would start with questions yeah. and conversations, yeah. not with avoidance. I'm not saying everybody deserves a pass on everything. I'm actually saying everybody deserves a conversation yeah. when it, we need to settle something in our own soul. Right. Right. I think that would right. slow church trauma. I think that would... Like, for example, the people that I know that I'm aware of right now that have deconstructed their faith from mm-hmm. previous contexts that I'm aware of, like church churches that I've been a part of, I know of some people that have decided to deconstruct their faith, and many of them claim church wounds. Like, it's because of the church that I've done this, right? Right. But the reality, here's the facts, I have never had one conversation that was reconciling with any of those individuals that I've learned that are deconstructing their faith. So I'm just saying, as a pastor, I have never been given enough of the benefit of the doubt Right. To where a person would ask me questions and have conversations. And I find that completely unhealthy, especially when you parallel the church with the family. If you want to make that parallel right away, you cannot have any trajectory of health in a family without conversations and questions. You can't. And the same is true of church. But for whatever reason, we find our way, people will find their way out of church because to them it's like, well, if I talk about it, it's going to be more damaging. But I believe the Bible leads us to places where reconciliation is not only something we ought to do as a good thing, but it's necessary for healing to happen for both parties. Yeah. Sometimes yeah. awareness needs to come to an individual, healing needs to come mm-hmm. to another, or revelation needs to happen to the yeah. person that's wrongfully judging. But it could be a person's right, and that would bring right. an awareness to that leader or that person or that small group leader or that situation that is needed. And, and where there's an awareness of something, if that person is even right, it brings healing if they were to right. bring it up. So 
there's there's a couple ways that we we can talk about this, but I think you know legitimate church trauma, and then how does church trauma or church wounds how does that perpetuate? How does that happen when maybe we could resolve and reconcile and right. all heal right. if we had a way of doing this right. that I think was reasonable? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Amen. Amen. I mean, that's that that's really good. Yeah, but I think today. Um, I mean, for me, I've never heard the word trauma thrown around so much personally. Oh, me neither. And so I had to kind of think through, like, what are we, what are we, <clears throat> what are we talking about, and not yeah. ultimately get like get defensive because right. half the time I've seen the other side of it so much. Not yeah. just like there are these places and people where deep wounds have happened, but I've seen the other side of it to the point where people say this hurt me, this wounded me, and I'm like. I've seen the fact that they were rebellious, they were sinful, they contributed to that issue, and they didn't acknowledge it as well. So I've seen that yeah. side of it so much right. that I have to ask more questions. I have to dive in deep. I have to make sure that I'm not assuming that that because I've seen their bad side that there wasn't yeah. a legitimacy to this. So I'm right. on the other other side because I would actually say there's just as much church trauma toward leaders today right. where um, sometimes I feel like people don't think I understand. Like, well, Pastor Ben, you wouldn't understand. It's kind of like, because you're part of the system right, that's right, damaging exactly. people, yeah. so how could you even have a voice to this? And I'm like... <laughs> it's a very critical theories and postmodern idea of how to look at the world. Like, anyone right. with influence or anyone with, 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 uh, with power and authority can't see clearly what's happening. Right. But I was, I was 18 years old, and I messed up enough for church discipline to be done to me. And I had about a, less than a handful of months of me frustrated, not understanding it. And when, when I remember asking God, I remember going, God, give me clarity on what I've done. And it was almost instantaneously, it was like a slideshow hit my mind, like, oh, mm-hmm. I'm at fault right now. And uh, that's where you picked me up. And even with that stuff, um, all I saw was healing from church, from, from church leaders who understood and walked through similar things and helped me out and and sought me out and loved me and wasn't trying to kick me out of church. They were trying to help restore me right. in the safest way for, th- for that church and for me. Right. And I'm grateful for... If I didn't have that season, I would still be a mess. The, the discipline and the severity that, that th- things happened when I was 18 was so important for the next three years after that of my life that were formative, the most formative um, years of my entire life. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so I, I think like we, we look at a lens like we, we don't understand because we're just about making our own brand, making our own vision, building our own kingdom, trying to build our own empire, which we know that side too. There is a ton of that. There and is. me and Ben hate that. Yeah, right. That's not Oh, we'll talk churches. about that in a little bit. We'll get there. We just we don't yeah. want that stuff. You know what I'm saying? We th- we don't want to build Plus, I, I, cultures. I don't live in this grandiose world where I think this face is going to be stamped <laughs> on any brand. Can yeah. I just be? Can yeah. I just put, put that on a cup? You know, yeah. what I'm saying? Northwest like, Church, and you know, you yeah, got like ben, Michael Jordan you know? got this. Yeah, and, and, yeah. And what has Ben I, got? I don't you know. know I just don't. I just don't think this face is going to you know? sell anything. Yeah. You understand what I'm saying? <laughs> like it's Jesus or nothing for me. I don't. I just don't. I just don't know. That's like right. if right. Jesus yeah, isn't yeah. enough and the Bible yeah. isn't yeah. enough, we're we're not we're not moving forward, people. Oh, absolutely. Right. And so like, <laughs> so, but yeah. like, we're, I'm not interested in that. No, like no, that is no. that makes that that is repulsive to me. I don't. I want to build the kingdom yeah, of yeah. Jesus. Yeah. And I want God to put me on the best. 
uh, a position on the team so that the kingdom is successful. Yeah, amen. And but there's business when you lead a church because we live in a world and business and finances and accountability and boards and yep. systems and organization and everything else happens that there has to be some business, right? But we want the kingdom. We want the kingdom of God. And, and, and so we don't want people who are just so blinded by their own vision that they're willing to just mow through anyone and everyone to get that. We're no, not those people. We're here to make disciples. And Nor I do I that. want anybody to yield themselves to that. Like, not right. only, like, like if you're somebody that has been a part of a church where they were like that, yeah. and, um, and you didn't walk through maybe how did, you, how did that happen? How did you succumb to that, right? What, were, what are we attracted to in, in that type of environment? I, I don't know. I mean, I don't really know, but what, what is it about that in us that wants this flashy, showy yeah. uh, thing yeah. rather than a biblical church? Right. C- can we just... I want to hit on what you were yeah. kind of talking about, because I think that like church discipline is a highly misunderstood issue that I think does lead to church wounds. Yeah. Um, and I think that's a you brought up a really great point. When you were a young man, you took personal responsibility for your sin. Yeah. And when church discipline was exercised on you and against you or or in your life for the purpose of healing, you woke up to the fact that that's what was happening. Right. And you did that through saying, I'm a sinner. I have sin in my life. I don't understand why this is happening or what is going on right now, but I do recognize that I've contributed to this. Right. And I'm going to walk this road of healing. God you know, in His grace, gave you that perspective, and that's really healthy. And I could just say that sometimes people do not understand church discipline, because they think that if you exercise church discipline because they're doing wrong things or they're sinning, and it's contributing towards the harm of others or the environment itself, and so we're trying to exercise, as a pastor, I have to exercise church discipline and correct someone, confront someone, and usually, I would say eight times out of ten, that individual does not want to receive what I'm trying to do. They do not want to hear what I'm trying to say. And that's what sin does. Sin will blind us. And so they automatically get even more offended than they previously were because I'm dealing with that. But the Bible commands me to that. It says, actually, Scripture is meant for rebuke, reprove, correction, training in righteousness, so that the man or woman of God might be equipped for every good work. That's why we have the Bible, to know what is true, what is not, Mm -hmm. what is right, what is wrong, and pastors do have, in a sense, an authority, like a parent, to help this environment stay healthy or become more healthy. And when a person has church discipline exercised against them, they're not always going to understand that. And I, and I just want to bring an appreciation for that for a second. One time in a previous church that I was a, a pastor at, I remember there was a man who would sit in the back, and he somehow, I, I don't, I'm not trying to ascribe motive to everything he did, but he would find single ladies. He was in his upper 30s. He would find single ladies in the church, and uh, there was a singles ministry. And this man made these women uncomfortable. Right. Well, I don't think of myself as I'm the protector of all women yeah. or anything like that. But it was sure. like, as a pastor, I have a responsibility to hear from the congregation and deal with a situation that's out of hand. Right. So this man made them feel very Especially comfortable. Especially when you have like multiple people talk we have a, to you about yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, multiple people. So we had two or three women talk to me about this. And so I took this, I took this man outside after a service, and I spoke with him. And I said, I've had a couple women tell me that they're uncomfortable by how you are with them. And basically, he responded to me and said, 
oh, well, they're just immature. And he started to question me, what kind of pastor are you just to believe all these false reports? I mean, he just really went in. And after about three minutes of absorbing this um, terrible comment, these terrible comments from this man, I stopped him and I said, look, uh, I'm coming to you to bring you into an awareness Right. That you make women feel uncomfortable by how you speak to them and what you say to them. And your response is actually worse. Mm-hmm. It's creating it's cre- it's creating a very toxic relationship between you and I, and it's making this worse. If and I tried to help him. If I were to hear a pastor say, You make women feel uncomfortable, I would say, Oh my gosh, what am I doing? How can I make that right? Right. And the and I said this to this man. I said, the fact that you haven't done that makes me very concerned for you. Yeah. And he patronized me and put me down. And so I had to just cut it off and say, Look, if you keep doing this, we will ask you to leave the church. He was so angry, I thought the guy was gonna fight me. So this is how bad it was. I'm outside, and I had other people oh start gosh. to come close to me because yeah. there are people that watch seen, out for yeah. us, and they realize what's going on. So it was within two weeks, I'd bring that guy out to the same exact spot right outside of our church, right after our service, and I had to tell him he had to leave the church, and he couldn't come back. Gosh, and he wow. cussed at me, got angry with me, the whole deal. Wow. People saw it happen. People saw me excommunicate this person from the church. This guy, not only did he make these women feel uncomfortable, but he had what you might consider the markers of a stalker, mm-hmm. okay? I had to make some very hard decisions and do a very uncomfortable thing, and it made me very unsafe mm-hmm. to the point where other people had to stand close to me because we didn't know what this guy was going to do. That's not the first scenario, uh, the, the first time I've been involved in that. It's not the last time I've been involved yeah. in that. Wow. But other people saw that happen and totally judged without asking any questions. This is why asking questions is so important. My point is this, is, is that there are, there's so much going on, and there's a lot of backstory, and I don't know where he came from. I don't know why he was where he was, but I would have yeah. hoped that we could have changed that. I would have hoped I could bring awareness to him. I didn't want right. to kick him out of the no, church. No one does. I wanted to bring him into awareness. I wanted to help him get... Uh, get an understanding of how he is that makes people feel uncomfortable. But the fact is he responded with how horrible of a person I am and how immature these women were. Friends, I just want to let you know, this stuff is what's going on all the time. So in a church context, on one hand, you're not doing enough, you're not saying enough, you're not protecting enough. Now you're doing too much. Now you're saying too much. Now you're legalistic. Now you're... I mean... You have to understand, when you bring a group of people together in the name of Jesus, trying to follow the Bible, and we all show up at this place, there's going to be a lot of wounds. Right. The hope that we have as a church is that Jesus is our common denominator, and if we follow what the Scriptures teach, we will get healthier, we will right. get better, but we just don't know who's going to be repentant in this scenario, because repentance is like the ingredient that makes this beautiful. Without repentance... And understanding Scripture and coming around what that says, there's no hope for any of this getting better. In fact, it's all going to get worse. And so that's really what we have to advocate. We have to advocate humility, repentance, healing, Scripture. This has to be what, what we're after, and we all contribute to that. Everybody contributes to that. And so, yes, people in power do have a tremendous responsibility 
to preserve an environment that it's on a healthy trajectory and growing to be like Christ? Absolutely. And sometimes they are the highest level contribution to wounds, and and they need to be accountable just as much as anybody else. But at the same time, we're all contributors to this. Everybody has to do that. Every small group leader, every person that's teaching in children's ministry, everybody that's on outreach, people that join a mission team, all of that, we are people that have to cater to health. We have to sow into health. Humility, repentance, what does the Bible say? How do we reconcile? How do we have conversations? Where we forgive? All of that stuff. It's, uh, you know, we can be the victim, and we can also be the perpetrator. Absolutely. We can be on either side of this, right? Right. And so we're trying to make sure that we're on the right path. It's very important. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. But I think church discipline is a very misunderstood topic mm-hmm. and does lead to church wounds and does cause people to deconstruct yeah. their faith. But I think a lot of it just starts with a misunderstanding, yeah. or maybe it wasn't properly done. We kind of have to keep backtracking, yeah. like maybe it wasn't properly done. But yeah, just, right, right, right. just in, the, in what I've been involved in personally, the church discipline that I've been involved in, I, I would say large percentages of church discipline, when it's exercised even properly, maybe not perfectly, but properly... It wasn't mis- it wasn't it wasn't understood, and it wasn't received well. There are stories like w- what you brought up and others that I can think of, where people were corrected and brought back into fellowship in a way that was right. dynamic and brought restoration. Right. But a lot of times it's not because people have this view: if God is loving, or you're loving, then why would you say something that made me feel uncomfortable? Right. Because you're sinful. Because I'm. Yeah. Because we have sin. Right. Right? I mean, we, we have to root things out uh, in order to have this healthy, growing culture and right. a healthy, growing life and a healthy, growing family. Right. And I think a lot of churches, to be honest with you, don't want to do that. I think a lot of... Pat- like, I can tell you how uncomfortable it is, honestly, for me to not have the depth of relationship that I long to have with someone and to have to sit with them and correct. It's the, yeah. one of the worst oh, things is. in the world oh my gosh. to do, but if I don't do it at the risk of being misunderstood, at the risk of being judged, if I don't do it, what's worse is on the other side of that. Avoidance um, will, will create even more harm for more people, right. and I'm unwilling uh, to do that. And so um, I, just, I, I have just watched this, this whole issue of church wounds and church trauma grow, and how many times I've just been like, oh my gosh, I can't believe so-and-so is saying that, when that isn't really what happened, right? right? And, um, and I know a person can analyze all that, and, right. and, and there are certainly a lot of mental health specialists that are analyzing church trauma oh, these days, yeah. but they're not always doing it from both sides, and that's the problem, is, is that it's one thing if a person goes into your office, counselors, you need to hear this, and you know this, but if a person goes into your office and they yeah. tell you what happened, but the other side of it isn't shared, a lot of times you're counseling to a one-sided situation, when in reality, that's not how it often is. Right, right. It's just, I mean, it, sometimes, but a lot of times it's not. And, right. And so that person's inform, the information that that person's going to be given, the justification or the validation cannot always, it can sometimes be yeah. wrong, you know? Right and and so I've had to deal with uh, I've I've had to deal with that many times as as well you know yeah absolutely yeah so we want to have a healthy environment there's a podcast that's um, really popular right now it's the most popular okay, Christian so podcast the most popular Christian podcast right now is called the Rise and Fall of Mars Hill Mars Hill was a church 
It rose to about 15,000 people in the Seattle area, 15 campuses, I, I hear, 15, 15 campuses yeah, yeah. across a couple states. And uh, Mark Driscoll was the pastor. I've listened to the podcast. I've listened to all of, all of the episodes that they have. And so what they're doing is they're sort of analyzing how the church rose in fame and power and notoriety and how the pastor was, and um, they're sort of critiquing him, and then how it all sort of fell in 2014 overnight. What happened? How did it happen? What's good? What's bad? How have you, in listening to this, what have you, th- what were your, what are your thoughts about this amazing podcast? I think we need another two to three hours, yeah, you know, yeah. like they have a podcast critiquing your church and we're going to critique their podcast about critiquing your church. There's tons <laughs> of them kidding. that are doing it. Hundreds, sure. yeah, hundreds are doing There's, it. You yeah. know, um, man, we lived it. Yeah. I was a youth pastor when that all happened. Yeah. You, you saw it even before me, you saw it rise more into prominence. yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. You know, um, I was in high school and it was like in the in the early to, to mid two thousands, and it was rising and you know, in prominence. And I knew a lot of people went there, and it was super popular. It wasn't my flavor ever, yeah. you know, the church like just in terms yeah. of my my flavor. Like I, I you know, and um, uh, but that's a whole other story. I the podcast, Mark, we we knew Mark was was wild in a lot of ways. You know, he, he's, he could be That's not the words that I would use, but yes, <laughs> just, we'll go, we'll know, go with that. To, well, there's a lot of people who still really love him, and yeah. there's a lot of things he can teach, even t- in the last couple of years, that were, he teach, he's, a, he's a, an amazing communicator. In Phenomenal that, communicator, right? yeah. Clear, and he's like brilliant. His, his intellect is high, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, and so, like, there's, there's talent and giftings he has that we can really... Um, are thankful for, but but we knew, we heard stories, we knew people who went there. We and so it was interesting Staff when I started. Went there, yeah, oh, yeah. yeah. When like Christianity Today and and they're interviewing all these other people who are kind of like on the outside. Mm-hmm. Um, some are on the inside. Yeah, some are on the inside, yeah. but like but like Christianity Today is like other places of the world. Um, we lived in Seattle, and so like even from from the first podcast. So, you know, they said basically when, when um, Mark basically when he was stepping down or being removed, we're not really sure. But you know, when he was, he said, "Hey, I I, I knew I was supposed to walk away from this restoration process because there was a trap set out for me." Mm-hmm. And they had elders critique that, which I which I don't like. I'm not saying they're being dishonest, but we were in Seattle. Like there was, um, and they were saying, "Oh, we were going to restore him," and I appreciate that. Mm-hmm. I actually believe them. Totally believe them. Yeah. I just don't think Seattle would accept him again. The mm. the amount of upheaval that happened. Mm. Even today I talk to people who aren't believers that will mention Mark Driscoll as like a lunatic. Mm-hmm. And like Seattle disowned him. Mm-hmm. You know, um and it would be I think it would have been extremely hard e- even if he walked through the perfect restoration process mm-hmm. for Seattle to embrace him again. That's very fair. And uh, so I mean that's one of many thoughts. Mm-hmm. Um, but hey, Mark did so many crazy, not right things that um, leaders sh- and pastors should not do. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of questions that are still remain to be out there, mm-hmm. um, and and so that's my overall thought process. Um, but a lot of it for you and I, uh, were, we're not, it wasn't like super surprising to hear some of it. Some of it you're like just it saddens you because you're like that's. Have we reduced church to that? Have we really, you know, like it, it is sad, but 
Um, Mark did what he did. I, you know, uh, but it's a very kind of postmodern approach to to analyze somebody's life like that. You know, they'll take a snippet and then they'll just be like, "Look at what happened ten years ago," and then they'll like yeah. say, "Oh, it's all along he's just an aggressive human being." And like, yes, I say comments all the time, and if someone picked apart my life, holy smokes, you know, like they are really picking. We apart. could do that. Yeah. All right. Let's do it. All right. <laughs> I'm Rise humble. And fall I'm humble. Trevor Lawyer. Yeah, no, uh, but uh, but like we need to talk about that. We need to be open about the harmful things that evangelicalism has have offered the world. Mm-hmm. We we don't need to hide them. Mm-hmm. So I appreciate to one degree that we can openly talk about it, and that we should be able to openly talk about because there's a lot of names we can name that have just fallen to so much sin and brokenness and it's affected thousands upon thousands and or millions of lives yeah. in America yeah. and in the world. And let's talk about it and not be afraid to. And um and and I think that'd be really healthy. So so I think there's a mixed bag there. But I think um yeah, it's it's just wild. I think when you thought when we're talking about church trauma deconstruction, people have used I mean Mars Hill has been is one of the churches that right. people have used to say Here's huge church trauma. Totally. This is why I've deconstructed my faith. Um, this legitimizes that, right? Right. Um, I, I think it's important if you do listen to the podcast, "The Rise and Fall of Mars Hill." That num- number one, this is this is one person's product production mm-hmm. and perspective of what happened, and um, I think we need to critique them as much as we need to critique Mars Hill. I, right. I really think that's important. Not that you should spend any time doing that, but my point right, is that right. um, th- there's a lot of context when I listen to the podcast that isn't always fair. For example, when Mars Hill was rising in the two, like early 2000s, that's the uh, beginning of the emergent church. Right. The emergent church is progressively Christian now, and, right. and in many cases, in my uh, personal view, is not Christian. Uh, many of them are not. And uh, and right. certainly don't affirm scripture the way that I do, or hi- historically the church has. And you can't just jump the Grand Canyon and go, "We're still Christian." Actually, uh, that's debatable. When you jump from uh, the scriptures being the authority, uh, like having authority of scripture view, um, moving away from the his- historical orthodoxy of the church, right. and still call yourself Christian. So Mark was one of those voices in the middle, like in the beginning of that, right. and he was confronting it. I don't agree right. with Mark. I don't agree with the things that he would say or the way he would do it, but I do think he was up against a lot more than the podcast is actually giving him credit for. And I can personally remember right. that because I was literally a Christian during that time in Seattle. Right. I didn't go to Mars Hill, nor would I, um, and there's reasons that I didn't and wouldn't, and this isn't to offend anybody that would listen and feel like, hey, I love Mars Hill. That's great. Uh, maybe God moved in your heart. God does totally. that, you know? Yeah. And, uh, and and there isn't... It's not all bad. Right. There was a lot of good, and I do think sometimes the podcast is trying to appreciate that. Right. But overall, it is a critique. Right. Um, it's a critique from a psychological, spiritual, not always a theological aspect. Like, they're no, not trying no. to talk about church governance. They're really no. not talking about what the Bible says about elders. Right. What's the role of a pastor? I mean, they put down do complementarianism to a degree... Yeah, they're, like, but they're not really, they like, don't really debating that scripture, like egalitarianism right. versus complementarianism, what does the Bible say? Right. It's, not a theo- it's really right. not a theological critique, True. in my opinion. It's an assumptive theological critique right. at best. But there's no Bible being laid out, so right. you have to remember that. If you listen to the podcast, please do remember that this is not... 
they're not like putting the Bible and the, the true theological perspective over this in a way that I think is going to breed the kind of health that we right. need to, because if we're going to ask questions of Mark Driscoll and Mars Hill and see that although it collapsed, well, the, you have to look at it like, how did that happen from a biblical standpoint? What right. did they get wrong in, in that regard? Right. Um, but yes, Mark Driscoll, like some of the thoughts that I have is that... Um, Mark may have been a great guy, but when I listened to the guy, I felt like he preached shame. I'll be honest with yeah. you. I remember when he talked to men, he spoke down to men. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, he ta- called men who looked at pornography perverts. I was like, yeah, like I'm really going to go listen to a guy who's going to literally talk down to people. Um, right. So that's before the uh, podcast. I always felt that way. I always was like, why are people going to this church? Why are all these men going to this church so that they just get slapped around <laughs> by some guy? <laughs> That just speaks like he just came off this way to me. So like whatever Mark is, and not that he'd ever listen to this, but whatever you are and why ever you think that that's okay, uh, no, men don't want to get shamed, okay? Most of us have lived in shame. I came out of shame when I came to Christ, and whenever I heard a voice shame me, I was not attracted to listening to that person. And so that's just where I come from. You know, I don't need some bold, brash, angry guy to yell at me about how to be a man. You need to be a man. You know, I remember walking to a coffee shop one time, and there's this guy who's a barista, a baristo, whatever. I don't know. I don't know what you say. A brorista. And he was making my coffee, and I said, can I get a vanilla latte? And he looks at me, and he says, man, that's a floofy drink. And I go, a what? Like, I didn't even understand the guy. That's a floofy drink. He goes, "That's that's not what men drink. And I go, oh, I'm sorry. What do men drink? I'm paying for it, so I'd really like to know. How much did you tip him? Yeah, and he hold on. (laughs) He said to me, "I'm still. This is therapeutic. This is this is yeah. Just get it all out. No, this is coffee shop trauma. Yeah, yeah. Okay, because I've had some. All right, (laughs) coffee trauma here. All right, in Seattle, it's it's real. It's It's a real thing. The the struggle is real, people. Okay, you know, listen to me. I'm laying down truth here, like an OG. So, (laughs) so, anyways, I this legitimately happened. I'm not exaggerating at all. The guy's like. Well, you need to drink like black coffee. So, like, I don't know what the espresso, the Americano with no cream or no nut, no nothing. Just take it straight black, you know. However, he said it, and uh, and I said, okay. So if I drink, <laughs> let me get this straight. Um, if <laughs> I, I drank black coffee, <laughs> an Americano with no sugar and no cream, like I'm a man. And he was like, that's a man's drink. And I and I'm like. And no, like this is gonna sound really judgmental, but I'm looking at this guy, and he's got hair folded out of his beanie, and he's got it pulled down, and he and just like his arms, like like the way he was, like I'm going, this is not even happening to me right now, <laughs> like just the way that he looked and spoke and all of that, like all stereotypes right, in the right, world, I right. could have judged him for. Right. And I didn't. I came in, I bought coffee from this man, I was having a great conversation with this man. I wasn't judging his manhood by his dress, by his hair, by his speech, by any of that. But he was willing to tell me that I was less of a man by drinking a vanilla latte. So I did say this to him, and I'm not sorry. I said, I define manhood not by the drink that's in your hand, but by the character of your life. You know, things like integrity. (laughs) keeping your word. Those kinds of things are what define being a man where I come from, but thank you for your suggestion. I still want a vanilla latte. Here's my... Here's my just a side note. If you ever need to negotiate anything, hire Ben Dixon. 
there that is legitimately really no happened. shame. Yeah, yeah, yeah. like you really it's... made that comment back to him. Most people would be like, oh, huh, I'll still get the vanilla latte and avoid confrontation. You just stepped right into it. One time I was at a car. <laughs> one time I was at a car dealership, and the guy. So good. I was looking at car. Uh, does this? This is good. Just yeah, go for this it. This is great. This is who your pastor is. Uh, <laughs> Keep going. All right. So I was yeah, at a yeah. car dealership yeah. and I was looking at a car, and um, and the guy was like, he was putting it on thick, yeah. you know, because oh, yeah. there's a lot of people that work at car dealerships and they're great. Oh, my dad. And my your, dad your, works at car. Yeah, dealership. your dad's the GM. All right, he's the godfather of car dealerships. <laughs> Let's not talk about that. We love you, Lynn. Lynn. Lynn Loya. <laughs> <clears throat> but anyways, I go and the guy's like, "Man, he's putting it on thick." And I, any manipulation, I just yeah. want to want to tell you that, yeah. that that's why I even talked about Mars Hill and Mark. And I, I felt that way. I felt right. anytime I feel like somebody's trying to manipulate me, I right. push back. Right. Like if you push me into a corner, I just automatically every <laughs> yeah. spike comes yeah. out uh-huh. of me. It's like, uh-huh. <laughs> and so please don't do that. Like let's have a conversation. You know. Uh-huh. And I'm growing uh-huh. in Christ. Yeah. But the guy was pushing me real hard, and I'm pretty sure my wife was there, and so that was even like, now you're now you're shaming me. So if you're gonna shame me and you're gonna try to manipulate me, like, the answer's no. <laughs> so he's like, we're working on a deal on this car, and he's and I said, so I was like, not even sure right. that I was even for the car, but I'm like, if I get it, I was doing one of those classic, I would tell the people not to do type things, like if I get the car at 18, the car's like 22 grand. I'm like, if I get it at 18, I'll do it. He's not gonna give it to me at 18. And I know that, but I'm like, hey, if he does, great, let's do this. Right. <laughs> so he's got me at like 20, 21, 850. And I'm like, look, man, I'm telling you, it's at 18. That's where I'm living, right there. I'm living right there. I built a house there. I did my landscaping. <laughs> I am literally a resident of $18,000, okay? So yeah. if you're not going to come to where I live, then we're not on the same block. We're not in the same world, Yeah. okay? Yeah. Like, you don't even know my address right now. I'm trying to tell you how to get here. And he just wasn't, you know, I gave him the GPS coordinates right, to right, get to right. where I am and writing right. that check. And so he goes, well, so he starts going off on me. And, he, and, he, and I said, sir, first of all, before you keep saying all the things you're saying, I've told you what I'm willing to do, and I'm keeping my word. You're not. That's clear, but here's what's going to happen, okay? <laughs> now I'm going to start reducing the price of where I'm, wh- where I'm willing to go. And I literally started doing that, and I walked out of that car. I said, I want the car for free. I told the guy, I was like, I want the car for free now. That's where I want the car. He was like, <laughs> and, and because, if, and, th- and this is the thing, is that guys, like when you, we have to have the kind of discernment where when we're being manipulated, I shouldn't... Now, listen, don't do what I did, okay? I'm exposing myself, making fun of myself, because I don't want everybody to be like me. But my point is, is that when people seek to manipulate, church environments right. cannot be like that. No. So when, when, I'm, when I'm talking about church wounds and trauma and deconstruction, I'm coming from the perspective that I sniff oh. that kind of environment. I'm not interested in being a part of that. When right. somebody speaks in a way that is absolutely condescending, yeah. patronizing, shameful, that is not okay. And we have to discern that before it gets really bad. How did this get really bad? It got really bad because it was allowed. Yeah. And I'm not just saying it's church members' fault, but I'm saying like the whole environment, we have to pull the plug ourselves. Mm-hmm. And I remember in the early days of Mars Hill, on one hand, Mark was up against progressive Christianity, and I, and I think that made him bolder, and I get that, because I don't agree with progressive Christianity. Right. And but just I, even the culture of Seattle. No, and it, it was that, toxic. Right? You know, right. I absolutely appreciate that, and I think that could be a podcast in and of itself. Right. But the other side of it is that 
you know, I've helped a lot of men out of sexual sin and sexual yeah. bondage, but the first way you don't do that is shame them, yeah. all right? You bring them into, bring people into repentance, which all of us have had to come into repentance. We all still have to come into repentance, but bringing people into repentance, you do that from the perspective of a father. Right. God is a father, Right. and he's not shaming people, right. and that's, you look up these sermons, and that's what was going on, and so I never, when you say it wasn't my flavor, none of that was my flavor. None of that stuff is my flavor. And, and honestly, like that's what fuels some of these toxic environments. And I just want people, all of us, to be able to sniff that and smell that. Instead of judge that, let's move and go and be a part of a church that's what we would consider um, healthy. Right. It's, not, it's not geared around a per, that person, uh, a star. It's not a mega church with a mega star. That that isn't something that that we should we should be a part of a biblical church that is promoting scripture and the great commission and the great right. commandment and we're moving forward together as a as a healthy family. Now, whoever Mark is and whatever he's doing today, you know, I pray that God helps him and leads him. We need more churches and not less. Right. Um, we need more people preaching the gospel and not oh, less. Absolutely. I'm not his critic. I'm not his judge. But as I've as I've listened to this podcast, I've realized that yes, a lot of people got hurt because they were following somebody, and they thought that this was, um, some of this stuff was okay. Right. Some of this stuff was funny, some of this stuff was tolerable, um, some of this stuff wasn't that big of a deal, and then they, they realized later down the road. And I have a lot of compassion for anybody that's been hurt by that and gone through those difficulties. But here's the deal, we have to recognize something before we move on, and that is, is that when things are happening and they're just allowed in this environment, they're going to grow. What right. you sow will grow. That's oh. a fact. Oh, that was good. Take that with oh, you. Oh, man. <laughs> what you sow will grow. Uh, what a right. church sows grows. That's the way it works. And so we're going to make mistakes. That's that's inevitable. We're gonna. I'm going to say things sometimes, and I'm like, man, I wish I didn't. Right. Right? That's going to happen. But it's where it's tolerable, where it's not right. mindful. We're not mindful. We're not aware of it. Those are where toxic cultures are yeah. created. And that does lend itself to hurting and wounding uh, people and I don't. I don't want that. I, I sort of. Um, I want to maybe present the t- the final topic of discussion. Well, I have about, one more thought, just about Barcel. Yeah, bring it up. Idea. I thought one of the things in, in terms of the rise, a lot of people who were part of it said things like, "Things, great things were happening. You know, tons of baptisms, salvations. We were growing, and they were judging a man's almost a man's character by the fruit of the ministry." Mm-hmm. And never has that really been true. I mean, obviously we judge the fr- the, the fruit in terms of we see things happen, but um, uh, th- that's great. But the integrity of somebody's heart, like God, mm-hmm. God sometimes moves sovereignly because the recipients have a great heart, mm-hmm. not because the, the the messenger does. Right. You know, and that's the great thing about God is that mm-hmm. He doesn't He He will go after everyone despite mm-hmm. who He uses, but. The, the harp, and so you see that, so they just stopped keeping him accountable. Mm-hmm. And then when accountability was lost, everything fell apart. Right, truly. And, and when you look at, you look at these megachurches, um, and not, it's not a megachurch well, it, it problem necessarily, but it's a, it's a branding Western, Western world problem, mm-hmm. which we have to make everything huge, amazing. 
You take pictures. Instagram makes the, the room look full. Everything is happening. Look at what's happening in our midst. Hey, and we're always hyping and we're looking. But what we're not seeing is the interior of people's hearts. Right, exactly. Yeah. We're seeing all that. And sometimes it can be a reflection of that for sure, mm-hmm. but it doesn't guarantee it. And Mars Hill is a, a perfect picture of that and many others you know, Hillsong, New York, and Ravi Zacharias, and, and Bill Hybels. East and, Lake Community you know, Church East Lake in Bothell. Community. Yeah, yeah. And so there's there's plenty that we can that we can look at and say, wow, like the fruit of the ministry in terms of the, the how big it is. Right. Doesn't mean it's super fruitful. It means a lot of people are coming, you know, but there's a lot more questions to well, ask. Let me, and, 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 let's, and let's just say it like this. A lot of people over the last 25, I've been a Christian... I think going on 23 years now, right? And so over that time, I think a lot of people are coming out of traditional churches. They're mm-hmm. coming out of sort of mainline churches. A lot of those mainline churches are fighting over whether they're going to be LGBTQ affirming, where they stand in the mm-hmm. inerrancy of Scripture. A lot of those doctrines, you know, they're kind of up for grabs right, right. now, and so they're splitting. Those mainline denominations are splitting. People are coming out of that. Charismatic churches are growing, non-denominational, community, mm-hmm. uh, Pentecostal, those churches are all growing, and then, you know, historically many of them have had cardinal doctrines, orthodoxy, and so now we're not always sure exactly right. what's what or who's who, and it does it does give us some insight to think about all these mainline people come flood into these churches, and it does influence maybe where they were or weren't as, as well. But I think it's important to recognize over the last 20, 30, 40 years, you've had all these people come out of those types of churches and want to be a part of something that is life-giving, something that is growing, mm-hmm. not dying, something yeah. that is vibrant, something where there's a lot of momentum, a lot of people, and it's sort of catered to this. Like, I want to be a part of something bigger, right. louder, um, and that's kind of equated in our time to be shinier, more prolific, more... Um, on the internet, Mm -hmm. you know, like, more followers, more this, more... It's, like, kind of, like, it caters to this exciting environment that can shroud the issue of growth, intimacy with Christ, and then, really, we're left with the question, what is a biblical church? And I I think it's interesting when you look at a church like... I brought up Eastlake Community Church that was in Bothell. I think they're in Kirkland now. And they're not really a church anymore. I mean, they're more like a... what they might call a spiritual faith community. But they're a great example of what happens when people get wounded from church environments, and they created this church, and they called it the Church for the Rest of Us, which was sort of an inadvertent, arrogant statement. Like, we're the church for the rest of us. Like, everybody else can go over to those other churches, but we're the church for the rest. So it's like you're trying to not be an arrogant environment. You're trying to say everybody else is like, they think they know what's going on. They think they have it down. But if you're a person who doesn't fit into there, you'll fit into the people that don't fit in anywhere. And by nature, you become the exact thing that you're judging other people for. You start off by being a judgmental environment, which again... That is not healthy. Right. We create unhealthy cultures in reaction to an unhealthy culture, and that's never a good thing. So they start this church, the Church for the Rest of Us, Eastlake Community Church. And from the beginning, you could see very uh, negative things. They would do this thing called Drink for Drinks, and people would just go there and give money for uh, life water or charity. Uh, it was a charity for, for uh, building wells and getting water to in developing nations so people could have water to drink and, and use, and that sounds like a great thing, but they would bring this environment together, or they would create this environment where people in their own sanctuary would drink a ton of alcohol, and who cares if people end up feeling buzz, getting drunk, because it's all a good cause. 
but people that came from these wounded church environments came into this, and they were like, yeah, this is awesome. We can go to church and uh, get buzzed and drunk, and uh, it's not about religion, man. It's like, this is the church for the rest of us. We can have a little bit of Jesus and his teachings, but we don't want to be a Pharisee and a part of them. And all of a sudden, you end up opening yourself up to this weird stuff that's not healthy, that you don't want to teach your kids, that shouldn't be a part of Christianity, that definitely isn't the way of Christ. And I remember watching that going like, does anybody see this? I mean, does anybody see like drinks for drinks? Like you have to like actually get a drink of alcohol for you to give money for developing nations to have wells. Like that's what it takes for you. Like this is like, I don't want to teach people that. Like that to me is another marketing scheme. That's another way of like, hey, at all costs, let's do something and let's vote. Uh, photograph it, and then let's post it up on our website, and we'll be that church. We'll be the church that looks kind of rebellious and always Mm -hmm. is doing the what's happening now thing. And I remember when they were doing that, I'm like, there's no way that church is going to make it. There's no way. And and they and they didn't. There's no way they did. They're always doing these on uh, off the cuff sort of uh, cutting edge, um, cutting edge like cutting Christian edge. Like were they even was it even Christian? And a lot of us pastors were watching that going like, this is not going to be good. Because when you, when you think about it, it's like you're making statements, right, without teaching people. And, right. and more is caught than taught. And watching that as a person who saw that, I was like, this is going to be destructive. And you know what it was? It was deconstructive is right. what it was. People deconstructed their faith. And when I was even like saying stuff to those that were going to that church and I was trying to be helpful, they were like, you're judgmental. And I'm like, no, you're not seeing something that's unhealthy. I was even trying to talk to people and it was like a cult-like following. Like they wouldn't even have a reasonable conversation about how this could be unhealthy. And I remember like, why is that the case? Like I never was the person to judge other churches, but I was like, this is not healthy. This is not good. This is not leading down the right road. And again, I want to pray for those the people that led those right. to church. I'm not a I'm not right. a, trying not, to be against people, right. but like I remember speaking up. And even though I was speaking up, not just trying to judge, it was like you you know, you're just judging what God is doing cuz to them it was like the fruit. There's 5,000 people, there was multi-locations, and right. it was like this was proof that God was blessing it and he was for what they were doing and 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 it really presents this win-lose theology. You know, it's kind of like when the football right. player says, you know, God gave us this victory. I was like, God didn't give you that victory, man. That's the stupidest thing you could say. <laughs> like, three people got broken legs, one person got a broken arm, and one person's back's never going to be the same. Yeah, Amen. God really gave you that victory. Yeah, absolutely. Listen, if you like football, that's great. Don't pray for them to win. You know, pray that they don't, they don't get hurt, okay? <laughs> Seriously. Like, God <laughs> doesn't care who wins the football game. I'm sorry, but this is ridiculous. Like, what oh it does is it creates gosh. this win-lose theology. Yeah, like, no, God's totally. for the winner and not for the loser. God's for the maximum fruit, and the people that have, you know, a small church, God's not for it. Like, these people are doing something right, these people are doing something wrong. You know, and it creates a version of God that makes people sick. Right. And that's that caters to church trauma, that caters to deconstruction. I've always been against that. So here, the heart of a pastor, I'm telling you, this is not helping us. When we create a theology where God is for the people that have all of this going on, and then what happens when it gets deflated? Right. Whose fault oh, is absolutely. that? Is that God's fault or is that your fault? Right. So it, it led me to this question that we'll have to answer on a different podcast, but what is a biblical church? Yeah. What is biblical fruit? Right. What is biblical accountability? 
those are the things that we have really, to answer. Yeah. I was doing a membership meeting and at our church, and there was a guy that asked a question. He said, who, to me, I said, you can ask any question. And the guy goes, who is your accountability? And I immediately knew two things. Number one, he came from an environment where somebody fell, right. I, probably, you know, right. or, or he's been watching the situations where pastors have fallen, and if you're at the center of this, mm-hmm. or you're leading this thing, I want to know that you're not the only one that's a part of where this goes and what this is. Uh, okay, very fair. I, but I knew that immediately. Right. The second thing is, is that I think that he... Um, so he, so he, uh, he, he wanted to, but he also, I think, wanted to know that for himself because he wanted to trust again. Yeah. So there was a Which wound, but there was the idea, like, I want to trust again. So tell me your system and structure yeah. for you and That's this great. church being healthy. Yeah. So the fact that he was able to ask a question was healthy, and this is why even when I do things. Um, and I think we all should do this as pastors. We can't have anything hidden. We have to say, put it all out there. What's your question? You can ask anything you want to ask. Yeah, we're accountable for everything. Right. Our finances are accountable as a church. Yep. These are, this is not my church building. Somebody said that to me recently. He said, "This is like, oh, it's your church. You can do what you want." I'm like, "No, it's not. It's not my church. This is our church. This is our building, and, and our building is not the church. Our building is just the house. Mm-hmm. Just like we, the Dixon family, we have a house. It doesn't." The house doesn't define the Dixon family, but it is the place where we, the the place where we stay. It's the place where we do a lot of things. But I, that's not mine, and so we have to be very open, transparent, vulnerable. Churches moving forward have to be he, to be a healing place. You yeah. have to be more transparent, more accountable, more open, and we have to welcome that on every level. And so, to the person that asked me that question at that members meeting, man, that was awesome. Yeah, and I was able to describe who I'm accountable to who's in my life, what voices speak into my life, how our governance works, what our structure is, who gets to say what, and they were totally satisfied by that. Still go to our church. Cool. I love that. It was a wound revealed, but it was also the opportunity for healing yeah. to, oh, to totally. happen. And I thought, man, this here you wanted to trust again. Yeah, That's I love that. I saw that. That's awesome. But I, I only brought up Eastlake Community Church because I thought, in reaction to some church environments, we create other church environments... That are that are inevitably going to be a greenhouse for deconstruction, right? Because you cannot start a healthy church on an unhealthy premise. The church right. for the rest of us—that's a great point. You can't. You have to start a church on what Bi- the Bible teaches. Right. What are elders? What are pastors? What is a church? What does it mean to be a church member? What's the role in the mission of the church? How do we stay true to that? If we don't have those things, that's what we need to start a church and build a church on, right. instead of a reaction to these other things that happen, because that's not healthy either. Right. Reactionary theology, reactionary church plants, reactionary anything right. is, is not, not entirely, helpful. It's not not entirely helpful. helpful. So I don't know how much time we have left at all. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if we care at this point. We've talked about everything under the umbrella, but how do we deal with church wounds? What 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 would be your like closing comments to kind of say to first like even talk to church leaders yeah. just for a second. Talk to church leaders, pastors, and then we'll talk to people that are part of the church, members of the church. Yeah, well, I think uh, let me just say this. I think in in I mean the perfect example, I think the first church trauma that maybe arguably. So just go with me here is Thomas John 20, he's Jesus, the leader, shepherd, pastor Jesus, shows up when 10 of the 11, used to be 12, we won't go into that story, 
but 10 and 11 are there. Like he, he, all knowing Jesus shows up knowing one of them is gone mm-hmm. as the resurrected Jesus. You know, he shows him there, his, his, the holes in his hands, his side, you know, and, and shows his, his, the, what had happened. Like mm-hmm. everything is being fulfilled. It's making sense. But he, uh, he is okay with one of the people, Thomas, not being there. And I find that so fascinating. Um, and it brought some disillusion. I mean, reading into Thomas a little bit, some disillusion to Thomas. I would imagine he walks in, he hears all the stories, and he's like, but I'm one, like, why was I the only one left out of this thing? Mm-hmm. And I'm not going to believe, he says, until I see, and, you know, and he puts his foot down. He, he, he doesn't even deconstruct. He doesn't like, well, let's see, you know, what is you? He's like, I'm not going to believe, I don't believe mm-hmm. until I touch this, the hands, the, the, the side, until I, I have the same experience. And I thought it was interesting, just like what plays out. It says that it took seven days Jesus came back, kind of restored Thomas. I thought it was very interesting. One, um, Thomas is hurt by Jesus. Like, you, it, it's implied there. He's, mm-hmm. there's, there's a level of, like, I, I'm, I didn't have the same experience as these other people. Mm-hmm. And so, but, but the, the great thing about Thomas is he stays in that community. He stays in that house with those believers, and he's the unbelieving one. He stays the course for seven days. There's no guarantee Jesus was coming back. There was no like timeline that Jesus gave and said, hey, I'll come back and I'll talk to Thomas later. There's none of that being revealed, but Thomas just stayed in the community he had. Mm-hmm. And relationship, we can imply all these things. So that was one thing about Thomas where he's hurt, he's unbelieving, he's doubted, mm-hmm. and he's living in this place of doubt that he is basically married. I will not believe until it happens on my terms. Mm-hmm. And then you see on the other side, Jesus, who waits seven days, which is unique, you know, because why seven days? Why a week? Why not two days? Why not an hour? Why not right away? You know, all the time, all the why questions we carry as people who struggle with why Jesus doesn't do certain things. But he waited seven days and then he did it on, on Thomas's terms. And I thought there's a few things that were happening, just to, just some things on the peripheral that we can look at. One, Thomas stood in a believing community and, mm-hmm. and stayed there. Two, the believers doesn't seem like, it, it, at least it, does, it, it doesn't say anything about it, but if Thomas is staying there unbelieving, it probably means they probably didn't shame him every day into believing. Mm-hmm. They had an environment where he could actually stay and wrestle they allowed him to stay in the house. And then Jesus, on his own sovereign, you know, in his sovereignty, shows up and makes things right mm-hmm. and does it in, in his timing. And I just, I just think, like, for, for those in the church who maybe are critical to the progressive movement, deconstruction, and maybe are skeptical of people claiming church trauma, I think we have to ask ourselves, what kind of language are we carrying to allow people who really do have Mm -hmm. that, Mm -hmm. and even people who are perceiving that they have that, whether we agree that they truly do or not, it's not up for us to really decide, but are we creating an environment where we can have explosive belief in the resurrection, in the power of God? It doesn't it doesn't lessen our faith, our belief in the power of God and the resurrection and the miraculous, you know, like the disciples here. But we allow those who are wrestling through church trauma, deconstruction, doubt, and fill in the blank on the rest of them, where they can wrestle through in the midst of it. Mm-hmm. Um, we don't have to be threatened by it. Mm-hmm. 
we don't have to be like threatened by deconstruction, like it's going to hop on us and it's going to, oh my, it's going to ruin everybody. Mm-hmm. We just have to relax. We have to be, we have to stand on the solid ground of Jesus. We have to love God and open doors and arms to people, hear and listen to stories and get in their shoes and understand why they are carrying what they are carrying and, and full stories, not just the last experience, but maybe their life story. There's just, there's just a lot going on. People are complicated mm-hmm. and, and, and we got to settle settle down and listen to people. I think people who are wrestling through church trauma, on the other hand, um, I, I really think that we have to be, like, we have to give Jesus the benefit, benefit of the doubt mm-hmm. that he wants to make his will and himself known. And if he's done it once and something happened in their life, then we, we know he'll do it again. Mm-hmm. Like in Thomas, he will come back. And yeah, maybe with the days between... We don't know, but but get in a believing community. Find a couple people you trust. You don't need to trust hundreds of people, just a couple trustworthy mm-hmm. followers of Jesus that you can be honest with mm-hmm. and wrestle it out. Talk about it. Be vulnerable. And, but, and give up. Even if you have a little bit, just a little bit of faith that Jesus could do something with right. what's going on in your life. And if you can stay vulnerable, stay open, and believing that, Jesus has good motives towards you, then I think we'll see God come, even you know, and and show up and do mightier things than we could ever really think that He could do. Mm-hmm. And so I think we got to c- carry that, you know. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I think how how do we move forward if if you've been hurt in a church environment? Um, first of all, I'm I'm not just gonna. I, I think sometimes pastors want to just like apologize. Like I'm not. I'm not going to do that to pat- patronize you, and yeah. I don't think that's what you need. But I would say um, there is. I would say there's hope. There's hope to trust again, and that's really the issue. Mistrust yeah. is a very powerful foe in our life. W- when you mistrust, it, it bleeds across all relationships. You cannot have mistrust in a, in a church context and it not touch your family and it not touch your work environment. It's not possible mm-hmm. because authority structures are authority structures. However, however you function, wherever you go, whatever environments you're a part of, it bleeds. It just bleeds over. And so as a pastor, as a father, as a husband, as a man, let me just say that um, reacting to the situation is not going to help you. It's not going to help me. It won't help us. So I would say healing has to be our goal. It has to be our goal. If healing isn't our view and it's yeah. not the trajectory that we're on, that is the best case scenario, and I could give you a lot of advice on how to get onto that path, but I believe what you're saying is we need to stay in that church community, um, we need to stay believing that Jesus can, will, wants to, and I also think we need to reconcile to a church. Um, I appreciated that man that asked me a question, because he, in a way, was extending a trust, like, I want to trust, but I need to ask. Yeah. So if you right. become a part of a church... What does it take for you to trust again? Right. You being able to answer yeah. that question and, and walking those steps is very important. You know, nobody's going to be able to do it for you. Nobody can do it for me. So for us to be healthy and healed and whole and to be on that, that growth trajectory is very important because it's going to bleed. Health bleeds across all our relationships, just like unhealth does. And I don't want anybody who's been affected by church trauma, wounds, and pain to have that 
uh, harbored in their life in such a way where other people get the worst of them. I want people to get the best of you, mm-hmm. and just like me. So we all have to heal, we all have to grow, and I want that for every person. And so I would say there are biblical churches, there are churches that are not perfect. You know, there's no church that's perfect out here, and um, and ours is not, you know, so it, don't come to ours to, to, uh, for, to find a perfect church, you won't find it. But I, I can say growing in relationship, asking questions, going as far as you need to, growing as deep as you need to, you knowing that for yourself, you going there for yourself is really important in community. But for the church leaders, we really do have to go a lot farther than we've ever gone before, and I'll take responsibility there. Totally. We need to have more compassion than we've had before. Yeah. We need to ask more questions than we've asked before. Yeah. We need to be more accountable than we've been before. Mm-hmm. And I'm on that trajectory. I'm, I am on that path myself, oh, and I'm willing. I'm, for the sake of the body of Christ, I'm willing myself to, to do that. Um, and so we all have to come to the table, though. Yeah. Um, and I think, again, the Bible has to be our manual. What does it look like to be a biblical church? And not yeah. assume that we know or act like we know, but we have to study and dig deeper and apply the principles of Scripture so that we all stay on the biblical path, not just my opinion or my view or this is better than that was or reactions, but it's got to be God's Word. And I think that will keep us healthy. That'll keep us growing. We have to stay there. And so this is very important for us, but reconciliation um, happens when, when the ingredients of humility the ingredients of um, health, Bible, um, honesty, transparency, vulnerability, when all of that is happening at a church, I think we can grow, I think, I think it can be yeah. beautiful, and it's supposed Absolutely. to be, because Jesus is the one that's shining, not me, not right. us, but Him, oh, yeah. and we're, drawn, we're caught into the updraft of His love and His grace, and we're mesmerized by nothing less than him, not yeah. not not the environments. The environment is a greenhouse yeah. for growth, right? But it's it's not the uh, it's it's not the utopia that maybe we thought that it might be. And so, I encourage you to get on that path. I encourage yeah. you to find a, a, a church where you can grow in family and community. I encourage you to raise your family in that place, um, and also just create an environment of health in your own homes. However, we need to get there. God's the one that can help us get there, stay there, and grow there. So, anyways, we've got a lot more to uh, discuss as it pertains to. I feel like we didn't even touch church wounds. I know there's so much. I feel like we didn't even touch it. But hey, here's the deal: we're going to come back. Who knows what we're going to talk about next week? Well, we know, I know, but I'm not going to tell you. <laughs> you got to come back next Monday on Conversations with Ben Dixon. God bless you. Thanks for tuning in. <laughs>